11. And so um, when I say Hebrews chapter 11, for you Bible scholars, what, what do you think of? What, what comes to your mind? The wall of faith or the hall of faith or the, the faith. I, I call it the faith hall of fame. I've heard all those things. But, um, we, we have a certain chapter in the Bible. Whenever you hear Hebrews 11, now you, you Christian folks in here will know Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter in the Bible. Now, for extra bonus points, which chapter, like Hebrews 11, is the love chapter in the Bible? Philippians 13, that would be a good chapter. First <laughs> um, Corinthians 13, that's the love chapter. We call that the love chapter. And so now you know. Now you know the faith chapter, the love chapter. If we could find the hope chapter, we would have faith, hope, and love. Don't worry, you'll get that next week or in a couple weeks. We're going to be in Hebrews 11 for a while. Hebrews chapter 12 is all about hope. So Paul is, um, I say Paul because you guys know I, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Now, as we get into Hebrews, it's just, you know, to say that it, it's possible Paul didn't write Hebrews. Lots of people don't believe Paul wrote Hebrews because the Bible doesn't tell us who wrote it. And there's no, the author didn't take any credit or sign his name on the end of it. Um, and so, you know, the bottom line is it doesn't matter what the human author was that, that wrote it. We know that the Holy Spirit inspired it. But what you, what you find, what I find interesting is that Paul writes in such, such an amazing way. Now, you have to understand something about the Apostle Paul. Besides Jesus, of course, in the flesh, the Apostle Paul is the greatest teacher that God ever used. And, and, and for whatever reason, God needed that guy, someone to ring that bell. And so he chose a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. He was the greatest mind that God ever created. God used him to write over half of the New Testament in volume. He wrote 14 books in the New Testament. 13 if you don't count Hebrews. 14 if you count Hebrews. Another reason why I think he wrote Hebrews because God wouldn't let him write just 13. He doesn't like the number 13. So he made him write 14. So 13 without Hebrews, 14 with Hebrews. But one of the, one of the classic um, designs of Pauline epistles and letters is that Paul will write chapters of theology. And then, and then at the end of it, what I love is there's a famous, famous Bible word, and it's, it's real deep, it's theological, it's like carries a lot of weight, and Paul loves this word. Do you guys know what that word is? The word is therefore. And, and I mean it, therefore is a powerful word. And what Paul does in, in, in many of his writings is, like in Romans, seven chapters of, of all of this stuff we need to know about God and about how God works and who God is. And, and then Paul gets to the therefore. And he says, therefore, since you have all this knowledge, this is how you apply it to your lives. And the therefore is application word. You know, knowledge doesn't help anybody. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So the way that, that, you know, the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Knowledge is the, is the head knowledge. It's the information. It's the facts. Wisdom is how to apply that head knowledge and those facts to your life for, for your good and other people's good. So to try to break it down a little bit, you may have, let's say we put you in a class to study carburetors in cars. And, and you study the books and you know everything there is to know about a carburetor and fixing a car. And what, what nuts and bolts and screws and wrenches and, 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 and twists and torques and everything you need to know in your head from the classroom about a car or a carburetor. And if I brought my broken car here to you and put it in front of you and you couldn't fix it because that knowledge didn't do you 
you had all the knowledge about everything, but to actually apply the knowledge to a real carburetor, you don't have that wisdom. That's the therefore. The therefore is the practical way to apply the things that Paul is teaching us to our lives. So I, I felt like you guys were tracking right till the end, and then I lost you. Did I lose anybody? No? Okay, so Paul teaches doctrine for chapter after chapter after chapter. And you're, you're kind of like, we've been, we've been, and you guys, like, give yourselves a high five, you know, like, go ahead. Give yourself a high five. Like, you deserve it because we've really been marching through some deep theological things. I have to admit and be honest, I've, Hebrews has been the toughest I've ever taught since I've been standing here in this room in this stage. Um, and it's been great. I've been loving it. But it's been tough because we've had to really slow down at some points. And there's so much going on that it's taken a lot longer to walk through it and teach it and to cover it and to get it. And, um, and we knew, we knew going in that Hebrews is a, is a steak meal, right? Hebrews is not a glass of milk. Paul tells us that in the beginning. Well, well good news. Today, we've crossed the threshold. Today, we get to the therefore. Today, we, we, we now have to take 10 chapters of, of information and apply them to our lives. And I love that about Paul. You know, I don't know if you guys, have you guys ever met somebody that's really, 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 really smart? I mean, just, just brilliant guy, girl, somebody. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes, those folks are hard to talk to. They, they're hard to have conversations with. Like they, they, or maybe some they lack social skills or sense of humor or application. You know the most brilliant people in human history, all the Einsteins, not all, but let's not so never put it all on anything, but all of the, many of the, the most brilliant minds struggled in, in school because of the social structure of school. Einstein, I think ninth grade, they say he's dropped out of school or something. And um, so it just struggled for, for seasons because they had all of this head knowledge and all of this um, stuff, facts, and but no wisdom, no ability to apply those things to their lives. And it can be with some of the very elite type A personalities that, you know, that you need them on your team, but, but, but they have all these great strengths, but also some struggles. We had a type A personality, our Bible college professor. We call him the smartest man in Yucca Valley. And he was, he was a wonderful guy, too. I mean, I love that guy to this day. He's one of my mentors and one of, my, one of the guys God put in my life to, to really change my life for the gospel and for Jesus. And, and, and going through Bible college, the Bible college students and I, and to this day, I think they still do a little bit. We used to play a game with this guy. So you would, the, the game was you'd win if you could ask Pastor Bob a question and he would give you a one-word answer. And if you could do that, you would win. So you'd get real creative and... And, and you would like, I don't know, I'd pick up a rock and I'd pull it out of my pocket and say, hey, Bob, 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 is this a rock? Well, you know, rocks were formed with the geological fire and on and on. And he'd tell you all about the rock and where it came from and how it got it and how it formed. And, and you know, so you get creative. Hey, Bob, is, is that the sun? Whatever. You just try something and, and never could get him to give you a one-word answer because his mind just didn't think that way. His mind was going to tell you how it was formed and came from and so listen paul that, that was a long thing to say this listen paul had that mind paul was that guy paul was that that just uh, i mean he was the greatest mind that god ever used really his writings his his ability to articulate to argue to um and in every way really was brilliant paul was brilliant what's funny about paul is his history says that he was and i don't know how to describe it but that he was hard to look at that he was like he had a crooked nose. He was short. He was like kind of a tweaky looking, like nerdy looking dude or something. And 
just wasn't cool looking or whatever, I don't know, like of his day and that, that, that his appearance was completely different. But his mind and his spirit, the way that God used him, what was incredible. But here, here's what I was going to say. Even though Paul had that type A personality and that really sharp, brilliant mind, what I love about Paul is that he also could bring it to street level. He could talk to normal people and he could, you know, if you're really that smart, you know, sometimes what, what, what some of those guys do is they just, just try to talk over your head. Oh, I'm just so smart. You talk about evolution versus creation, and some of those evolution guys, what their, their whole purpose to do is just to try to, oh, I'm just so smart, you could never understand the things that I understand. And I'm not even going to try to explain them to you. Well, if you really were that smart, you, you could bring them down to my level and help me understand. But, but you're really not that smart. But here's Paul. Paul, who is that smart, could also bring things down to our level and help us understand and apply to our lives. Amen? So that brings us to Hebrews chapter 11, 12, and 13, at a section where we're going to change gears and, and learn some practical stuff. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for um, Paul. I love his teaching style, Jesus. I thank you that the book of Romans and Hebrews are like just everything we need to know about doctrine and theology and everything that we believe about God, pretty much we could find in these two books. And, and Lord, yet yeah, Paul, Paul is able, Lord, and you've given him the ability to to be the smartest mind that ever lived, the wisest, just the smartest person, Lord, the greatest mind. And yet, Paul could also be practical. And he could talk to everyday, ordinary people that just weren't that smart. And he could love us. And he could teach us how to, how to live our lives as better Christians. How to know you more, Jesus. How, how, to, how to have intimacy and relationship with you, God. And we know that all things are found in your presence and at the feet of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we look at this concept of faith today, we pray, Father, that, that you would help us understand it. God, I pray, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would help us have um, real application. And that, Lord, as we walk through this verse by verse, that um, where we could take it on a practical level, something we could put in our bag and leave here with today, something that we could apply to our lives this week. And so, Lord, give us faith. God, give us a faith that moves mountains, Jesus. Lord, increase our faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so, Lord, help us to be a people of the word. Lord, help us to be a people that relate to you and know you. Um, and know the promises of God because we read them and study them in the word. And so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen, amen. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen we're not made of things which are visible. Verse 6, real quick. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you know anything about the progression of Hebrews chapter 11, and if you can cheat and look at verse number 4, you'll see the phrase, by faith. So God is going to, Paul here, the writer here, is going to walk us through chapter 11 in this progression, starting with Adam and Eve, and he's going to pick characters through human history that, that he wants to um, put up on a pedestal, that he's going to put them in the hall of fame, in the hall of faith as we call it. And these are the men that God looked at back in history and he gave an award to. And as they all sat there, he, he called out certain names and, and gave them the ESPY, gave them the Grammy, whatever it was, the award. 
the Faith Hall of Fame Award. And, and so he's going to pick out some moments through Old Testament history that God wants to highlight and say that these were great moments of faith. Now, we have all of these stories as we go back. As we read through each of these characters and names, it's going to give us a little tidbit or glimpse into something that we probably read in Genesis and Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and on through the rest of the Old Testament. He's going to start way back with with Cain and Abel. And even before Cain and Abel, in verse 4, when he's going to begin to walk through this, now by faith Cain, now by faith Abraham, now by faith Moses, now by faith, and on each of these, these different successions that we'll walk through. But even before that, in verse 3, the very first mention of faith is who? No, the very first mention of faith in verse, in verse 3 is you, is me, is we, by faith we. So before he's going to go back and start in the Garden of Eden or just just after the Garden of Eden, he's first going to mention you and I. That by faith we, what do we do? What does faith do for us? We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. We're going to start with creation. And by faith we believe in creation, something that we haven't seen. We'll talk about creation in a second, but um, that, that, that faith does something for our lives. Now, one of the things I want, to, I, want to, I want you to understand, and we're going to get back to verse 3, and we're going to, we'll start with that concept, because Paul does here, that, that we have faith in creation. That God says, you know, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, you can believe the rest of the Bible. What does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and, and all that's in them. In the, in the beginning, God created. That's all you've got to believe. If you believe that sentence then you don't have to argue with me about Jonah and the whale and this and that or any, any other creation of God. In the beginning, God created. So, um, but before that, in verse 1, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we get here a biblical definition of what faith is. Now listen, listen, Christ followers. I think this is super important. I think this is a key um, in your faith and in my faith, and it's something I want you to understand. We never use the term or identify ourselves as people that have blind faith. I've talked to religious people. I've talked to certain folks, and, and, and their idea, their concept of what faith is means that it's blind, that there's no evidence, there's no substance. You just, whether it makes sense or not, um, somewhere because some religious person or thing or writing said it, you just believe it. That's what faith is. It's just believing in whatever they tell you. It's not the definition of faith. That, that there is evidence. There is, you know, you know that everything that I believe in as a Christ follower and that I have faith in is, has substance. It has value. There's historical truth to it. You can historically go back and, and prove and check and see that the Bible is true. Archaeologically. I post on my Facebook from time to time new discoveries in Israel that absolutely find everything that the Bible said since the Garden of Eden to be true. And the, garden, and the Bible says in Isaiah, there's a king, Hezekiah. And then they, they, and then they, they, they dig and they find, a, they, they find a, a, a palace and they find writings um, about King Hezekiah. And it says, and the, and the archaeologists, archaeologists, whether they believe in the Bible or not, they say, there was a king that lived here named Hezekiah. And we say, yeah, no duh. We knew it. And, and then discovery, thousands, hundreds of thousands, just it is there. You know, every event, every coin, if the Bible talks about a civilization that used certain money, they found them, they have them. Every, every evidence historically and archaeologically, it's all there. It's not, it's not 
this pie in the sky. Oh, somewhere over the rainbow, I believe in Jesus. There's a substance of faith. We don't have a blind faith. We have a, we have a God that lived in the flesh. Every one of these stories that, that you read in the Bible are real events. Jonah was a real guy. Isaiah was a real prophet who walked and lived and prophesied, every one of them. And, and faith, listen, the Bible says faith in your life is substance. That means substance has value. It's tangible. We think of faith as a, as a cotton candy, as this bubble of this pie in the sky that, oh, I just have faith. How do you know it's true? Oh, I just have faith. Shut up. That's not what faith is. Faith is substance. Faith is reality. I, I have faith because it's real. Is the substance. Now, now the only thing that maybe I don't have that Paul's going to mention here that's actually tangible is I wasn't there to see God create. And that I have to believe by faith. That I just have to take it because the word of God says it. But faith is a real substance. Because in life you have to just believe in the promises of God. That the promises of God are true in your life. You know, the Bible says God is good by nature. That God, God wants what's best for you. God says that I, I, I know the plans that I have for you, plans of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Do you believe that? God says I'm a present help in time of need. God says I will never, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said I love you. We sang a song today. What king? How's it go? What other king leaves his throne? You know what the answer to that is? None. The concept is radical. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus, who is the God of heaven, and the angels, every time they see him, they bow down to him. Holy, 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 spontaneously. They erupt every time they see Jesus in the kingdom of God. What other king would leave that? And the Bible says, he that knew no sin became sin, so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. The Bible says that he was rich and he became poor so that you and I might inherit the, 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 the wealth of God, the inheritance of God. Who, what other king would become poor so that you could become rich? A peasant, a Canaanite, a Gentile. No other king would, would do that and, and we have this king. So, but the, these promises that God says for you, those you receive by faith, those you believe because God's word says they are, and that's substance in your life. So God forbid, please don't want to, you know, I don't do this, but I'm going to do it for you guys because I know some animal lovers in here are going to shoot me afterwards, but God forbid your favorite animal when you get home is lying dead. Let me ask you this, it would be, right? And you would cry, and you rightfully so would mourn and, and be upset, I get it. We all would. But, would God be bad in that moment? Doesn't the Bible say God is good? Would God love you a little bit less in that moment because he let your dog die? So that, that's where the faith is, right? That's where faith applies to your life. My, my situation is terrible, but my faith knows that God is not judging me. God is not punishing me. The Bible, God doesn't work that way. God doesn't do something bad to you when, when you've sinned to get even with you. He doesn't kill your dog so that you and him are even. He doesn't make you twist your ankle when you're walking up your steps. Whether you twist your ankle walking up your steps or your dog dies, God's love for you is consistent. That's faith. That's the substance of faith that applies to your life. And then he says, um, of things hoped for 
the evidence of things not seen. You know what faith is in your life? It's evidence. Evidence, evidence is, is what, you know, in a court of law gets somebody convicted or set free is evidence. Faith is evidence. How do you know God's real? The evidence that you have, the substance of faith that's grounded in, in reality, that's grounded in fact, that's grounded in science, that's grounded in truth. And then I skipped down and I read verse 6 because it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Here's the bottom line, especially for anybody in here that's maybe, um, you know, is just visiting or doesn't agree with all this. And that's cool. We're glad you're here. But just hear me out on this, that, 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 that you don't necessarily, you know, have to believe all of these things. And, and intellectually, listen, you're never going to figure God out intellectually. And if you're here today and you're saying, as soon as I can understand God intellectually and I can know this and that, then I'll follow, then I'll believe. God will never honor that. God can give you every one of those intellectual answers. God can absolutely solve all those problems that you wrestle with now. But he never will until you first put your faith in him. You don't like that, 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 the way that formula works? Well, tough. When you're God, you can do it differently. But in the meantime... God says without faith, it's impossible to please him. So he requires of us to, to put faith and believe in God. Now, it doesn't take a whole lot of faith, you guys, because God has created in you the very desire to know and the reality that there is a God. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. And, and the reality is that the idea of evolution and of no God, do you know that's new? Now, there, sure, there have been pockets and individuals throughout all of human history that, that might have, you know, there's no God or God's not real. But really, this lie of Satan is new. The whole evolution, the whole Darwinian evolution, the last hundred years, it's all brand new. For thousands and thousands of years, Satan used lots of different tactics, but not the fact that there's no God. Civilizations didn't live that way for lots and lots of years. But Peter prophesied in, in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. I don't know if I have it highlighted. 2 Peter 3, 3. He, he, he said that in the last days, in the days before Jesus is going to come back, the days that you and I live in, he said there's going to be a new apostasy that's going to rise, Peter prophesied 2,000 years ago, that there would be two things that would come into attack about the Bible and about God. And what did Peter say in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, those two things would be? Flood of Noah is number one. He said that men will be mockers and scoffers and they'll scoff that the world never experienced the worldwide deluge. So here's in a science experiment. Here's an experiment for any of you students in here. When you get to school on Monday, go to your science teacher and ask him or her if there was ever a worldwide deluge, a flood. See what they say. See what the scientific community says. And I'm pretty sure they're going to deny the, that there was a flood of Noah. The second thing Peter said would happen in the last days is that men would deny creation. That men would deny the fact that, that, that we're created by God. And, wh- and what do we find? And really, it was Darwinian devolution, evolution, I mean. Um, it, it's a state-sponsored religion now. Nowadays, you, you go to schools and, and, and you can't keep a job as a scientist in the scientific, scientific educational community in the United States if you have any kind of belief in God. You guys, you guys heard of Ben Stein? Ben Stein did a movie called Expelled. It's a little bit old now, 10 years old maybe. But I'm sure you can find it on Netflix or online somewhere if you're interested. But what Ben Stein did, and Ben Stein's not a Christian. Ben Stein's a Jew. He, he's, he's a scientist. He, and, and Ben Stein 
who doesn't believe in Jesus or, or the New Testament, he went and he went to secular universities around the United States and with the premise that if, if as, a, as, a, as a university professor, if I believe in God, what will happen to me? And, and he titled the movie Expelled because what he found and what he'll show you in the documentary and what he'll prove in 90%, 99%, 95% of the secular universities, big and small, in the United States, that if you believe in an intelligent design, you will be expelled from your scientific community. And that they, they won't even entertain it. You know, the, the reality is if what they believe is true about evolution, why are they afraid of the other side and what we believe about creation science? In our Christian school, we teach them both. We teach evolution and creation because we're not afraid of, of the lie. And you've got to know both. And, and, and yet what they do is they shun it and they deny it. You know, the Bible says, Colossians says, now we're looking at verse 3 again. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of, of things that are visible. Now listen, God is the only one who can bara. The word bara means to speak or to create from nothing. Give uh, Jason some wood or some Dan some metal and they could, they could cut and make me a pulpit of wood or metal. But they can't create me a pulpit from nothing. They can't create from nothing. Only God can create from nothing. And the Bible says that God created all things from nothing, that he spoke the universe in, in, into existence. And so, you know, when you talk to an evolutionist or somebody who doesn't believe in God or, or believes in evolution, we, we both have the same problem. Because what they say, everything came from nothing. And so we say, how in the world can everything come from nothing? And they say, was there something the size of a, of a pencil dot on a paper? And, and it, it, it blew up into everything that there is. Talk about needing faith, man. Way more. Isn't it easier just to believe God created it? But even then, we have the same problem because then where did that thing come from, that dot on a pencil, where did it come from? And if you have an answer for that, then where did it come from? And understand, we as Christians have the same dilemma because we say that God created the heavens and earth and all that is in them. Well, where did God come from? Well, the Bible says God has no beginning and no end. And that's, that's again, that's a matter of faith. But that God could speak. Yesterday I had a wonderful opportunity. Diane invited me on a horse ride and we got to go up uh, um, Settlement Canyon. And it's that time of the year where the, the leaves are turning and trees are turning. And we get up to the very, very, very top. And one of the gentlemen who was on the horse ride, he was in the front and everybody was behind him. He turned on his horse and he looked back at all of us. And he said, he knows I'm the pastor of the church that Diane invited to come on this horse ride. And he says, I'm not a religious man. There's no way you can look at that and not believe in a God as we looked across the canyon. And that God, God that, that, that it, how, I guess, just takes so much faith. You know, you know, when we teach evolution in our school to our kids, unfortunately, if you start looking at the, the micro evolution as opposed to the macro, they only look at everything at a macro level. And so we evolved over millions and billions and billions of years. And you can wrap your mind around that. It just, just add a bunch of, and it just add more years. What is the universe? How old is the universe right now? When I was like in eighth grade, it wasn't as old as it is now. It's like billions of years older now than it was when I was in eighth grade. I don't think I'm that old, but you guys heard about the kid, you know, in the in the in the school, and he was he was sweating and he was running and he was trying to get to class, and somebody stopped him like, "What's the big hurry? Where are you going?" He's like, "Man, I got to get to science class fast and read this book before before they take it's outdated, before they change all the information in it." 
Because the science books are constantly changing and the dates are changing and everything's changing. Constantly the, but the word of God, I got the same Bible that I had when I was in eighth grade. Word of God doesn't change. And, and these, these things, but so if you look at evolution on a, on a micro level, meaning how did, so if you need someone like to explain the process, so this thing like grew out of the ooze and it only evolved one leg and then it, it hopped around on one leg for a, a million years and then it got a scratch on the other side and over millions of years, this, the other leg came out. From the scratch, developed, grew another leg. This is true. This is real science. <laughs> so they, this is what they want you to believe. So again, when you when you when you when you micro, microscope it just a little bit to, to really how did what is the philosophy, the idea, the, the theory of evolution, and you look at it at a micro level, it's it's embarrassing. It's so bad. Like really, honestly, you want me to believe that? I think I'm just going to take my chances believing in God. Because if I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and I believe that Jesus created all things and if I'm right, I'm going to go to heaven, not hell. But if you're wrong and you believe in evolution, you believe in no God and you're wrong, you're going to go to hell. But if you're right and there is no God, then we're both okay because we're both just going to go back to the dust and everything's all right. I think I'm going to take my chances with God. But again, Peter tells us that, that, that all, you know, that, that, the end times they'll do that. In Colossians, Paul tells us about creation in verse chapter one, verse sixteen. It says, "For by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or principalities, powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist." The Bible tells us that Jesus holds all things together; that the Word of God holds all things together. And one day, this, this heaven and earth are going to, God's going to get rid of them. And he says in Revelation 20, uh, 21, 22, Behold, I create a new, what? Heaven and a new earth. Old things have passed away. So the earth we're in right now, we're going to go through the thousand years. At the end of that, it's going to burn up. And it's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Brand new. And, and when, when the one we're on now burns up, the way it's going to happen is Jesus is going to let go. Because right now, Jesus holds every atom of your body together. And the center of your, of your body is, is, is millions and billions of little atoms that are positively charged. And, and, and they should explode. They should repel. You ever try to put two magnets together the wrong way? And they push back? That's happening inside your body to the trillionth degree. And, 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 and science doesn't know why they, 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 they hold together. So they say it's atomic glue. It's invisible. We don't know what it is. Um, the Bible says it's the hand of Jesus. Now, you know the power of the atom, right? What happened when we figured out actually how to split the atom? Hiroshima, Nagasaki, is the power within the atom. And the Bible says one day that Jesus is going to let go when he's prepared to create a new heaven, a new earth. He's going to let go of this one, and it's going to go all go away. And then um, the Apostle Paul tells us about, um, about this debate between evolution and creation. In Romans chapter 1, if you're taking notes, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Somebody say suppress. Okay, so keep that in your mind. They suppress the truth. 
because what may be known of God is manifest in them. So that means that everything there is to be known of God, we read it in Hebrews last week. God said, I'll write it upon the tablets of their heart. So God has put his creation, this gentleman who said, I'm not a religious guy, but there's no way you can look at that and not believe in God. That, that very sentiment that's repeated in every one of our hearts, that God has created in our DNA that there is a God. The Bible is clear about that point. There's no such thing as an atheist when you get down to the, the end of it, because the Bible says that God has created and written upon the tablets of your heart, there is a God. It says that the firmament declare the handiwork of God. There's no way you can look at those things and not see that there's a God. Now, the, the, the beautiful sunsets and sunrises and pictures that God creates every day, they don't tell you about Jesus. They don't tell you that Jesus loves you, but they do tell you there is a God who created. And then, and then Paul tells us concerning this, that, that, that men suppress this truth in unrighteousness, that they take this thing that God has given you and created in you, and they willingly push it down. It says in verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Listen, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. Don't tell me you don't believe in God or you can't see God or you don't know if there's a God. They're clearly seen. They're, they're, they're obvious. He's not hiding them. He's not hiding himself or his existence. And if you want to see them, they're there because they exist. And he says, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and the Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Listen, for anybody who says there's no God and dies and goes to hell, the day they give judgment before God, the day they stand before God in judgment and say, well, I was taught there was no God, and, and they're without excuse, the Bible says. They knew. God created in the heart. There was an existence of God. And then it says they suppressed the truth. Now listen to what else he says. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changing the glory of the incorruptible God into the image of like a corruptible man, of birds and creeping, of four-footed animals and creeping. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their body among themselves, who exchanged, listen, somebody say exchanged. The truth of God for a lie. Okay? So you suppress and exchange is what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. So it's, it's not, honestly, biblically, at the heart of the matter, if you're having an intellectual debate with somebody about evolution and creation and whether they believe in God or not, the, the heart of the matter is, is not intellectual. It's moral. Because in order to believe there's no God, you have to exchange the truth of God for a lie. You have to suppress the truth that God has created in your heart. And it takes time. It takes time. It takes lie after lie after lie, lying to yourself. Now, why would men do this? It makes no sense, right? Why would you willingly trade God for a lie? Why would you willingly suppress the truth of God that, that has eternal impact in your life? Well, because men, the Bible says, like their sins. They, they like the darkness rather than the light. And here's the problem. If you believe and admit today, this morning, that there's a God who created the heavens and earth, do you realize that begs a second question in your life? Am I accountable to that God? Am I going to have to give account for my life? Does that, could that God then judge me for my life? Could that God send me to hell? If there is a God... Am I accountable to him? And the second question they don't want to answer. 
And they like, the Bible says, they like the darkness of their lives. They like their sin. But what they also like is their sleep. And if you believe in a God and you live a sinful life, you don't sleep well. Your conscience plagues you. You're afraid. It's, it's, a, it's a scary thing to fall into the hands of an angry God, the Bible says. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God, Hebrews 10. And nobody wants to fall into the hands of an angry God. So what, so what the devil did through Darwin and other areas and through this new um, apostasy and, and devolution that, that he was going to bring as prophesied in, Hebrew, in, in Peter chapter 3, there is no God. And they began to put science behind it. Now, if I can convince men over a season and they suppress the truth and exchange the truth for a lie, there is no God, they can sleep a little better at night. I don't have to go to bed every night fearing that I'm going to be accountable to a God that doesn't exist. So it's much easier for me just to confess over and over and over again and believe there is no God than to worry whether or not this God is going to judge me. And that's the real crux of the matter. And we can intellectually debate with some of these folks, and I think if they have some honest questions, we can answer them. But at the end of the day, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You're never going to intellectually argue anybody into heaven. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But listen, I'm going to close with this because I'm out of time. It says in Hebrews, where we're studying this week, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. Just camp there for a minute. Read it every week. Okay, you guys, read it this week bunch. Um, You can do 12 and 13 if you want. But we're going to be in Hebrews 11 probably for three weeks or so. We're going to camp here for a minute. But it says in verse 6, it says that it's it's impossible to please God without faith. And that, that we have to have... A bit of faith, but here's what I want to kind of close with this concept, especially for us, for our church. I don't want you to be people that believe that faith is blind. Never did I tell you, never will you hear here. I don't ever want you to say as a Christ follower, oh, I just have blind faith. I just have blind faith. I just believe in Jesus like, you, like it's a good thing. No, you don't have blind faith. You have a faith that's way better. You have a faith that's evidence and substance, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells you. Faith is the, is the substance, is the evidence. It's not blind. There's something in it. There's a power in it. And then the last just quick thing, listen. We don't have faith in faith. Because that, that's, a, that's a dangerous doctrine in, in, in the United States, around the world, really. You're taking it everywhere. How many of you guys wear seeing glasses in here? Can't see without them. Take them off hold them up. Okay. If you have enough faith, then God's going to heal your eyes. Hold them up and tell God you're healed. Don't, don't put them back on. If you can't see straight, don't say that because that's a negative confession and a lack of faith in your life. And don't put them back on this week until you have enough faith that God's going to heal you. That's being preached all over the United States. It's garbage. It's garbage. You know what happens? Like God's word does. That's faith in faith. You, you know what happens if that if that formula worked? If that's what the Bible really meant about faith? And if you think about it, it would make each one of us like sorcerers. It would make each one of us like Harry Potter stuff because we could our faith could heal eyes. That's like a spell. Like I could do something in my heart that like conjures up enough faith, and then I like heal my own eyes. I get like a bunion on my toe and I just got faith and it goes away. Like that, that's, that's sorcery. It's witchcraft. That's weird. 
That's not what God said. That's not what God meant. That's not what God's heart for you. And unfortunately, because of this movement, the only reason why I mention it is because some people that heard that and fell, fell into that, they took their glasses off. And the pastor said, if they had enough faith, they would be healed. And they went around for a week like this. And, oh, but I just don't know how I'm just working on my faith. I, just, I don't got enough faith. But when I get it, I'm going to be healed. And, and, then, and then about five days later, they put their glasses on and they put their Bibles down and they don't ever pick them up again. Because it doesn't work and it rocks the faith of, of, of real what God really intends. That's not faith, okay? We don't have faith in faith. Faith is not... Is not Pie in the sky. Rob, you better get up here before I keep preaching, brother. And then we won't beat the Methodists to the restaurant. So let's go. 11.37. Hey, I love you guys. Hey, let's stay in Hebrews chapter 11 for a couple weeks. And we're going to kind of continue to unpack this faith um, topic, what faith is, what faith isn't. And then powerfully, importantly, we'll get to see faith exercised in the life of the believers from all the way from the Garden of Eden all the way through the Old Testament. It'll be super fun the next couple of weeks. Love you guys. Let's stand. Hey, we're going to sing. Uh, Jay and Allie and uh, Kevin and Dar are going to be up front um, to, to pray with you if you'd like individual prayer. And uh, hey, no ladies study this week. We mentioned that, right? All right. Love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We give you glory and honor. And Lord, we pray if there's anybody in here, God, who just has never placed their faith in you, that right now as I pray, God, they would just say yes in their heart. If you're in here today and you're hearing these words and you don't know if you're a believer or a Christian or if you're saved and you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity to first just, just silently and quietly to yourself say, Jesus, yes, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Become my Lord and Savior. I want to surrender my heart and life to you and I want to put my faith in Jesus and the God who created and if that's you today and you, you mean that and you, you're in that place in life where you just want to get right with God, I'm going to challenge you, encourage you as we sing this next song to come up and, and, and just let one of the, the leaders up front know that you prayed that prayer today and they're going to pray for you and make sure you got a Bible. And Father, we thank you for each and every person in here. And Lord, maybe relationally some of us are just not where we want to be with you. And so God, strengthen us today. Lord, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so Lord, we pray that we would have enough faith to believe in you in a healthy faith, God, not this manufactured fake faith that the that the these these happy, healthy, wealthy morons are preaching all over the nation. And God, I pray that we would we would believe in the Word of God, that our faith would be First um, Peter chapter three verse two. We know what it says. We know how it applies to our lives. It's in the Word of God. It's a promise. It's real. It's something we can put our faith on. And so, God, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.